Welcome to today's episode of a new sub-series of the podcast, Who Belongs? The Othering and Belonging Institute, with financial support from the Annie Casey Foundation, is developing a series of podcasts to capture examples of bridging to belonging. We want a world where everyone belongs. So how do we get there? The answer, bridging. Throughout the series, we will talk to leaders implementing the work and individuals who have experienced the bridging transformation. My name is Miriam Magaña Lopez, and I'll be hosting today's episode. Today, we will be speaking with Beeb Bibene. Beeb is a professional performer, choreographer, dance artist, director, and dance educator, originally from the Republic of Congo. Currently, he lives in the Bay Area. Beeb has participated in the African Diaspora Dialogues hosted by Nunu Kidane and Gerald Lenoir. In our last episode, we got to hear from Nunu and Gerald about what it means to organize dialogues. Beep will let us know what it's like to be part of these conversations and what it has meant for his own bridging work. When we last connected, you shared with me that you were born and grew up in the Republic of Congo and that you never identified as a Black man until coming to the United States. Can you tell our listeners about this experience and what caused you to adopt a new identity in addition to your original identity? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't even call it a new identity. It's like it's almost forced on me because when you are in Congo, you know, I mean, pretty much everybody looks like me. You know, we are Africans. We Congolese. You know, we don't identify with, you know, the, the skin of your color, but you identify as, you know, your ethnic group. Where where is your you know, your ethnicity, you know, which, which part of the Congo you form, the northern side, the southern side, things like that. But it's never about, you know, what your skin color is like. But leaving Africa, going to France, Europe, and especially coming to the United States, then became a new journey. I say that became black. You know, the conversation is, it's very predominant, you know, racial topics here so i became black and i had to add if i wanted or not you know walking on the streets people call me you know hey he's black he's a black man right now so which in the beginning was very strange like oh i'm i'm black what does that actually means because yes we say african americans but blackness is not a unique thing we have many uh, it's a plural uh, multi identities within uh, one person may they look black or afro descendant because you know the world is you know you go to the islands brazil wherever you go in the world there's a presence of uh, african descendant uh, people but then eventually the history of the world is made of migrations so if we go with centuries back, back and back. Not everybody, not every black person made it here through either slavery or through uh, recent uh, migrations, but people always travel. That's the human nature to travel the world. But and I understand that's also a social construct as I'm understanding and learning about the history of the United States. I I have I found that there was one there was a, a time in this country where calling someone black was an insult. So people had to appropriate that term black, just saying like, okay, I am black, yes I am black, so what? You know? So but there was a time here it was offensive to call somebody black, just like the word Negro, things like that, which I understand. So I say, okay, 
Uh, I, there are times I say yes, I'm black. There are times I say no, I'm not black. <laughs> you know, just because I exactly know where I come from, I know my my ancestors' lands. That's just I go to the Congo all the time. Every year I'm there, so I exactly know where I come from. So. For some my African American brothers and sisters, that may not be the case because many of them are, you know, the ancestors got brought here from, you know, by by you know force, and now they not necessarily have ties with Africa. Thank you for sharing that. Our listeners have heard from Nuna Kadane and Gerald Lenoir about their experience organizing the African Diaspora Dialogues to bridge African immigrants and African Americans. You have been a participant in these conversations. Can you talk to us about what prompted you to attend these dialogues? I mean, I've known when I moved here for me, you know, was just pretty much trying to understand what, uh, what, what's going on around as, uh, you know, African organizations, how Africans are organizing themselves here. And Uniki Dani was one of, you know, the leaders that I met. And actually, even what I talked about earlier about being when calling someone black was offensive in this country. Uh, 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 Gerald is the first is the person actually that uh, shared that with, with me or with us because last year I was in a fellow, uh, we call it Onye Ozi Fellowship. I was in a fellowship comprised of, you know, black, uh, black people from all over, you know, from some from Canada, England, the islands and Africa, everywhere. So Jura uh, uh, was uh, one of the guests. So he was sharing this history about how it was offensive to Collins, I think maybe in the 60s or maybe 50s, something like that. Um, I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact date, but he shared the history of not, you know, what was offensive here. So, I mean, like, I, I like to see what are the leaders going. My connection with Nunu was, you know, as uh, leaders of, you know, leading an organization such as uh, Priority Africa Network for me was like, what can I do to participate? So it was now all throughout the past few years, it's been different uh, events, you know, symposiums and and uh, however we can inspire the community here, how we can contribute with. So I've kind of been part of, you know, the conversations directly or indirectly. It sounds like over the years, you've been involved in a lot of conversations and events and i'm wondering if you can think back to one of your earlier dialogues maybe the first one or you know some of the earlier ones i think if i will record my probably my very first experience mainly with nunu it was at uh, i think priority africa network office that they used to have in berkeley and that's where I met some of the the staff in in you know in there and some of the guests like african in the diaspora, in the Bay Area diaspora leaders, you know, came through. I think we had like a little workshop around, you know, race, for instance. And I think, I believe if my memory is right, we talk a lot about orderness, what is to be order, you know, things like that. So it was great for me to be in that environment. And these are, you know, Africans and African-Americans and eventually with, you know, allies. When I say allies, you you know, people from other, you know, Caucasian or from Asia, and just we are engaging in that discourse of orderness, you know, how we become order in this country of uh, immigrants, basically. So it, it uh, I think, kind of it gave me gave me hope 
and it gave me just a sense of continuing the work and uh, not uh, stop to reflect on these issues. So, you know, and, and I think it also kind of changed the direction of my, of my own choreographic work, you know, being in, the, in, in that environment and uh, discussing that. And also allowed me to understand better what racism is because many people, many of us, we come from Africa, we don't understand what racism is. You know, you come here, the racism come in different shapes and, you know, either it's, uh, you know, we have all the biases and things, but if you don't know the codes, almost like I have created a lexicon for <laughs> racism. But if you are new in this country, you're not engaged in those discourses and no one's telling you about what can be as an act of racist, a racist act or not. Sometimes you don't know unless it's really obvious that, okay, this is, this is racism. But sometimes it's so subtle that you don't always know that, oh, this is actually an act of racism, but you don't know how to read it. So and being in a discourse can to reveal to you what is, uh, uh, a act of racism or not? You see all this, the, the 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 layers, you know, the layers. So that's something you can only find out in being being in those discourses and listening to everybody's experiences. And then when you get to compare with your own experiences, then you kind of you know weigh it and see. Okay, now I know. Now I now you know I know I can de- react this way in the face of this or that situation. So, so you get to learn about you navigate the society without, you know, getting taken advantage of, without going through um, uh, offensive and offensive or exploitative uh, situations just because you don't know. Or also if you don't have the resources or you don't have a place to go. So being in an environment, you meeting, I know if I have this situation, I can call Nunu, I can call Joe, I can call uh, Hufaro, I can call on the people. So you know I can call, you know, people in Afro-urban society, or I can call on those, or people are Baji, you know. You can call on these leaders to, you know, uh, and, and myself as a, you know, a community organizer too. I can, I have now resources to, do the same. Okay, like you come to me, I know the person you can talk to, so we can help you in based on the situation a family or a person is going through. So the idea that you brought up of these dialogues helping you understand what racism looks like in the United States is really interesting because people don't think about that. Um, you mentioned in these dialogues there were African immigrants and African Americans, and I imagine. For the African-Americans, this idea of racism has been super clear to them since they were little kids because they've been experiencing this for much longer. Whereas for someone like yourself who grew up in a different country and came here as an adult, you're sort of having to relearn these nuances. Like you mentioned, racism is not always explicit. Sometimes it's structural. Sometimes it's not visible, but it's there. I wonder... For you, if you can talk some more about how understanding this has created a deep, a deeper connection with your African American colleagues, friends, partners. I think understanding there, there is, uh, you know, when you come from a culture, you come also, you know, coming from another one culture and coming to another culture, it takes some time. You know, I, I don't. Even now, I think I'm still learning about the African-American culture. 
you know, I, I don't necessarily, you know, I've been here a few years and uh, I've not been necessarily in, uh, you know, in living in African-American family, for instance, you know, I see living in my own spot and, and uh, the, the, the deeper connection here or, of, you know, or the deeper experience of African-Americans is completely still going to be different from mine because this is a uh, centuries of you know of uh, of of this centuries of you know slavery you know uh, jim crow racial segregation and uh, so it's basically one thing stops another one starts and now with you know prison system things like that so culturally I am still learning about, you know, how I'm going to create a deeper connection with African-Americans. Even if when I walk on street, hey, I'm black, but it's just when I start talking, uh, then when by my accent, then they say, okay, you, you know, some people may, it's, it's, it's interesting that someone may feel comfortable next to me just by my accent. They'll be like, oh, he's different. He's black, but he's not black. <laughs> because like oh, he's not from here and then if your accent you have no accent you're like oh he's black like born and raised here with ancestors who were slaves or ancestors who went through all this you know Jim Crow reconstruction period and things like that and then sometimes you can see there is a little bit of tension the tensions there and also there is trauma you know I see African Americans my brother African American brothers and sisters also they go through a lot of trauma which for me I cannot, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not living it the same way in my skin or in my, in my flesh, you know, inside of me than then. And I'm learning about what's the, you know, how they live in the trauma. It's going to be a completely different experience. And then we have the whole culture of food, of music, and of, you know, family structure here, how they're dealing with all of that. That's a completely different experience for me. I probably would not do live that experience because... I'm just coming here and forming my own family, my own thing that will be nothing to do with what they've been going through for after the past few centuries. So I'm learning, I would say, to go. I'm learning about how to connect, but definitely I do make connection through my work. Like right now, the project I've been where I'm working now presenting is called Remember. We are remembering, you know, African ancestors who thought. Yeah, to free themselves, for instance, like, you know, Ayre Tubman, Nat Turner, Gangan Zumbi, there's a lot of them that can eventually, history doesn't always count because, you know, we're also dealing with educational system that's put aside the, the black history. And then, luckily, we have internet. We're finding out about all these things via internet, but not in school curriculums, for instance. So it's a learning process for me, I would say. I'm just learning and discovering at the same time making connections yeah thank you so much for acknowledging saying that and also acknowledging that there are differences between african americans and african immigrants i think like you said in the u.s people tend to put both of these groups into a category of black and assuming that there's a lot of similarities which there may be but as you mentioned there's also a lot of differences I, I wonder, you mentioned just now that because of these differences, there are some tensions that exist between these communities. I wonder if you can talk about if some of these tensions from your experience. 
Oh yes, there is. <laughs> there may be a lot of tensions too, and it starts with, uh, you know, making sometimes how comfortable you make a, a white person feel, or, or how uncomfortable you may make a white person feel. So if you make a white person uncomfortable, they may not want to hang around you. If you make them comfortable, they may want to hang around you. So the thing is like. Every time I speak, if I speak, they say, oh, it's not from you. Then the white person may collaborate with me on a project. And if uh, they're like African-American, they will be like, uh, like, a, like almost a trust has been broken. I don't know if it's fear. I don't know what it is. I'm not generalizing here, okay? I'm not saying it's always the case, but in some cases. So, and the tensions come from uh, if a, uh, a, a white person, a Caucasian person may feel comfortable towards an African because we don't have that history behind us, then if we are applying for a grant or we're applying for, you know, a, a social support, we may get it faster like than in African-Americans, for instance. So if an African comes here and then, you know, we don't have all the baggage, we come here with a focus. If we come here, I'm doing my school. I came here, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to go, I need to finish, completed my master's degree throughout all the things happening, you know, but some, many African-Americans maybe don't, that can become my privilege versus they may not have that privilege to go just come and complete, you know, master's degree. And I studied the dance company. Many of them may not be able to start a dance company or get grants. So now they become, yes, the tensions are you Africans, you come here, you get all the privileges, you get all these things. While we're here, we're not getting them. And uh, that can be, you know, a very um, tensions. And tensions also come from the ignorance because, you know, Sometimes I will hear things like African-Americans blaming Africans for something or the Africans blaming African-Americans for another thing. But Africa was colonized. So after the Europeans took the Africans to enslave them throughout the, the Americas, they came back to colonize Africa. And the curriculum in Africa is the, the, the colonizer who wrote it, either the French, the Portuguese. So we went to school, I speak French. School is taught in French. So we know more about the history of France and England, England and all these places than our own history. <laughs> so now the same thing was done with African-Americans here. So when you were a slave, you weren't allowed to know how to read or write. You get killed if you, you knew how to read or write because some were geniuses, they taught themselves how to read and write. So you had to hide it. And that was going on from centuries. So now you have Africans who are ignorant about their own history, and you have African Americans who are also ignorant about their own history. So you see instances of both fighting, not knowing actually seeing the big picture that you both have been stripped from one from your own history, and then you fighting over something you have no idea, you don't know about. The Berlin Conference in eight from eighteen eighty four to eighteen eighty five. That's where they decided to split Africa. So the African countries we have and the borders we have today were not put by Africans. And during the Berlin Conference, no African was there. No African was asked about what's their opinion or what they thought about splitting Africa, creating these borders. And some of the countries in Africa have any names went off by, you know, uh, chosen by, uh, by Africans. So you have all that going on if you don't go back and know about history, what actually went on. And then you have the black people all over the world, if they don't know about the history, they don't know exactly what's, where the source is, then you see all these tensions. For me, it's, 
interesting because I do lots of research. So when I see that, it makes me sad. And somebody may be laughing, but for me, I may see that I'm just looking at I hear, you know, this African descent people not knowing about where they come from. They know about the history. A lot of them don't know about the Berlin Conference. They don't know about who's holding and where the African resources are going and all this, you know, the media manipulations. You have, a, a, you know, probably the wealthiest continent in the world in terms of resources. And then you have the people struggling and you have, you know, uh, many people because they portrayed Africa in such a negative way, like African Americans or Black folks in the world, they don't want to go to Africa because all they see is always the media uh, negative portrayal. But that's not my experience because negativity in a society is everywhere. There is nothing perfect anywhere. You know, like I say, like I get the question, oh, what do you think about? Is it nice to be in America? I'm like. It's nice to be everywhere. It's also bad to be everywhere. <laughs> it just depends which city you're in, which neighborhood you're in. Your experience can be great as your experience can be bad, you know. But again, for me, it's like uh, the tensions, as I said, already come from ignorance. And I really, I just, uh, my wish is just, you know, um, as the movements are here, changing a little bit of the school, the university, you know, curriculums, you know, we have to be university now, you have universal, universal uh, knowledge, universal uh, studies versus, you know, shaped to kind of, you know, Eurocentric, uh, you know, history or something like that. So you see that in many colleges, I mean, like it's a university, university should not be using certain terms, you know, some classes should not be just elective, no, it should be part of everything. It's global, and especially in America, it has to be reflective of the people of America, which are, you know, all of us coming from somewhere else. And maybe more, put a little bit accent on the Native native, uh, native Americans because, you know, the genocide against them. And then we are here even talking about all these things. But, hey, sometimes I feel ashamed to, you know, to do anything or take anything. And what are, where are the Native Americans? I came here, I was excited, like I'm going to, because when I was younger, I used to read a lot. I read back in the day, even when you read comics, was cowboys versus, you know, uh, uh, Indians versus cowboys. But now I'm going to come to America. I'm going to eat Native American food. But I'm here. I don't know where any restaurants, Native American restaurants are. They will say, where are they? They say they're in reservations, things like that. So we're talking black and white. But what about the Native or the lands here? Where are, where are, where's the conversation for them or, you know, things like that. So for me, it's like, you know, coming back not to be ignorant, learn about history and give respects and props to the people who, um, uh, who need to own it and bring the band, bring everybody to light and respect that. And we can share the resources and share the, the city with everybody. I think it's, it's well possible. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that you're right that, you know, we are all different communities are pinned up against each other for different reasons. But as you illustrated, African-American, African-Americans had their own um, terrible history that has with poor circumstances and structural racism that has led them to the situation where they feel like they've been left behind because they have. And then Africans also have become victims of colonization and have different experiences. Um, and instead of coming together 
to demand that everyone gets equal access to health services, jobs, clean water, et cetera, these tensions begin to exist within communities rather um, than against systems that are really responsible. And um, I think that your way of illustrating has done a really good job of highlighting these tensions and what we could do to change them. And I know that was one of the goals of the African Diaspora Dialogues. You shared your experience as a participant listening and learning about racism in America that has made you understand the situation of African-Americans in the U.S. I wonder, can you talk about some of the discussions that allowed African-Americans to get to know more about African immigrants? Yeah, that's that's in, in, uh, interesting. Um, it's a good question. Uh, honestly, I am not uh, directly um, leading like a movement towards that. that. I know, you know folks are out there, you know, doing that. But for me, you know, I'm focusing more on my medium, which is, you know, performing arts. And I think recently I also started making, a, I created a YouTube channel and I'm doing a lot of videos to, you know, my videos are, you know, are there. I'm asking for, you know, Black people, African-Americans to, um, also encourage them to make connection with Africa. And the best way to make that is really, you know, to, to go to Africa and travel there. And this comes with, you know, like many of us immigrants, we come to this country, we take, it's like taking a leap of faith. We come here, I didn't, you know, I learned English when I came here, you know, you, why you go to a place, you have no family, you don't know nobody. And you get to adapt. You're gonna learn the language. You're gonna learn how to eat the food, how to you know adapt to the environment and the, and the, also the conditions of that society. So that's what most many of us immigrants we do. You know, we come and we start eating all this food. In the beginning, it was hard. I, I didn't want to eat all these flavors. My was strange, foreign to my mouth, my palates. You know, but we have to adapt. And I'm eating all the kind of all this food from all over the world, and I'm speaking English. So I was encouraged like. It may be difficult if you speak English, but just go. Don't necessarily choose this English-speaking country in Africa. You go, you don't know nobody, you're going to make friends, you'll be good. Forget about, you know, whatever condition you lived here in America. you got to be humble enough to, if you really want to learn to make connection, the only way is to be there, to be there with the people, you know, not go on vacation, on safari or something to go see the animals. No, you go with the people. That that will give a better experience and connection with the land. And it's also spiritual. Once you're in the land, then you things will happen for you, really, just like you know we do. So that's one of the best ways to to do that. And uh, I do those. I talk about that in my videos and some of my works. You know, tackling that and inviting, but and eventually. It's a work in progress, uh, work in progress. I'm reflecting a little bit more how to do a little bit more work in that sense. But um, I had a festival in the Congo where we do many uh, performances in uh, on the streets. So I have invited some of my you know African-American friends who come to the Congo and I'm trying to design a project in mind here to create like a, a bridge do a program that I'm calling Zela program. So basically the program will each year allow to take our home, a group of people from here 
and travel in the villages and the cities and spend I don't, two or three weeks over there as a residency to you know, give them the experience of the land. So I can only do it for my part because the Congo is, you know, that part of Africa I know best. You know, Africa is big. So, um, yeah, work in progress, yeah. I want you to think back to that conversation that you mentioned where you were learning about racism against Black people in the U.S. Were you open to it from the beginning? Or was that something that you took time to think about and acknowledge? I think I took time because in the beginning, I don't know what it was. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. Um, yeah, it, 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 has, it had to come from experience. As I accumulated and compiled the experiences, then that starts shaping, uh, with, you know, starts giving me different uh, different perspective yeah different perspectives just really from you know a personal experiences as you've been studying and for you know trying not to go to any details but after a while you you build a lexicon of acts and then the sad thing about it as you learn you know and then you become now the risk of falling into that place where you become defensive. I feel like sometimes I have to be defensive all the time. I feel like I always have to have answer to educate someone about racism, about you know, question ignorance question they may ask me. And sometimes I'll be like, you know, I'm from Africa. I just got here, and um, I just got here. How can I be teaching you about your own culture, American culture? <laughs> so it becomes tiring sometimes to always have to defend myself against, you know, someone who's ignorant and uh, the entitlement of someone who think, oh, because they may be white, they think they know more than I do just because of my skin color, which is very ridiculous to see someone like, hey, you have a master's degree, but you are literally illiterate, but you still think like you are, you know more than I do. You know, those instances, someone asks you questions and they answer to their own questions without waiting for the answer and they get it all wrong. I'm like, <laughs> so you ask me a question about Africa, but you, you give your own answer. You've never been there. That's very interesting. But then when it comes all that, it becomes tiring. So, and again, to come back to the answer, it's just like it's a, you know, piling of uh, experiences and that gets you to that place. It is a lifelong journey to make connections and to bridge. Uh, many people who may be listening may be new to the idea of bridging and belonging. What advice would you give to listeners who may want to work on this themselves? And why do you think it's worth it to do it? I think first thing is like to, to be curious. You have to be curious, uh, you know, not be judgmental about anything. You know, that's not always a human nature, but just to be curious. And, you know, when you meet someone on the streets, don't, don't, you know, don't, I suggest not to do our best not to judge because it's not because it's not the way someone is dressed that determines the content of the character. It's not the shoes, it's not the clothes, it's not the tattoo they may have or the piercing they may have. It's not the skin color, you know, just say hi. 
<laughs> because I remember learning English in City College and, uh, you know, being, I feel like being nice became suspicious. Like if I'm saying like, you know, in the Congo, we say hi to everybody. You don't, you know them or you don't know them. So it was like, oh. I say hi to you with a big smile, like, oh, do I know you? It's like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying hi. Don't freak out. There is nothing here. It's just, hello, how are you doing? That's all. I don't need to know you. But yeah, I felt like I need to know you. So if people can be there, you know, don't, we can be, you know, smile, you know, say hi to someone. Someone say hi to you. Even if you don't know them, just say hi and go, go by your way. Okay, but it's just something, you know, it's maybe just very African. <laughs> um, so, yeah, to come back to curiosity, do our best not to be judgmental, take some time to listen, really listen, and take some time to think when someone's saying something. Because what I have in the studio, I was having a conversation this morning, I feel like sometimes black people know white people better than white people know black people at all. But even if they both been they've been living in this country for just... As long as, you know, they came, you know, white folks and black folks being here or Asian, they've been here just the same time. For whatever century they came here, the ancestors came here. And actually, matter of fact, many black folks being here, the ancestors being here longer than many uh, Caucasians who got here recently, maybe a century ago. But because of the social construct, they became white. I remember there was a time in this country, even Italians were having hard time to adapt. They were not considered as white or things like that. But now it has shifted pretty much any person looking white is, is accepted. He is now benefiting from this privilege. But the black folks are almost natives, the African-American, because they've been here much, much, much longer, just like many Chinese or Japanese being here much, much, much longer, you know. So let's not <laughs> judge. And, and so, so let's do our best to read history. <laughs> you know reflect on that so <laughs> thank you i have one last question the way that you've been describing uh bridging opportunities talking to people being intentional about maybe living in a neighborhood with a community that you want to get to know more um attending these dialogues hosting these festivals where you're asking people to come and share in unique food and dance and art, it seems like it requires a lot of effort, but you are continuing to do it. There must be a great payoff because you're putting in the time and the effort. Can you share why, what the payoff is for you? Why are you putting so much effort into bridging with communities that you don't at this moment have an immediate connection with? I'm just really doing it in a very natural way, you know, without any like deep particular agenda, if not just the willingness of seeing people together and happy. <laughs> enjoy each other, enjoy each other's company. That's, you know, when I do the festival, everybody's there, you know, looking at the, the arts and the dance or the vending, the machine or talking to each other as questions. That's one thing that makes me the most happy, like ever. For me, it's really there, you know, uh, you know, and also really encouraging in the process. Like, hey, for everybody here, because you know, black people have been kind of, you know, left behind a little bit, and you know, but support black initiatives, black businesses, you know, give them the space also to, 
express their arts and they, you know, show their leadership as well. So give them space to and just support them. That's the only way we can create balance, really. So those who have been a little bit more privileged has more advantage. You have to recognize it and support the person who doesn't have that. It doesn't kill at all. It's not a competition. It's just where we can be in a balanced place and share resources and support each other. I buy mangoes for you and you buy strawberries for me. So <laughs> so things like that, you know, you create balance and everybody can be in a really st- uh, good economic and financial financial place and also moral, spiritual place as well that plays, uh, plays out. And uh, so I think if I see that for half the festival, I mean, the world is big, I cannot transform the world like that. I can only do it from my small place, from what I know best and what I can do best. And I'm hoping that as the editions of the festival comes on my own events, I'm hoping it inspires one, two, three people who can also replicate and do the same thing. That was B. Bibene. Thank you so much for your time. And to our listeners, please check out our other podcast where we discuss belonging and bridging in more detail. For more resources and curriculums on belonging and bridging, please go to belonging.berkeley.edu slash B for B. That is slash letter B, number four, letter B. To follow Beep's work, go to bungusfest.org. That is spelled M-B-O-N-G-U-I-F-E-S-T dot org. Until next time.